Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you recognize that voice? The one and only Carol Burnett in her star-making venture, Once Upon a Mattress? Well, that Once Upon a Mattress was written by Mary Rogers, the daughter, one of the three daughters of none other than Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein fame. And Mary Rogers had a great career herself. She... She wrote, she created Freaky Friday. Remember Freaky Friday, which was remade again with Lindsay Lohan, another great movie. And uh, anyway, uh, she had an unbelievable life. And I had no idea how extraordinary her life was until I read the autobiography slash biography with extraordinary footnotes that was written by her. And she has since passed. And Jesse Green, our next guest, the reviews of Shy were unbelievable and they were well worth it i can't tell you how much i'm enjoying this book i'm not completely finished with it yet but i'm very very excited to chat with our next guest jesse green who is the chief theater critic of none other than the new york times with the power to make or break a show on opening night and he writes fabulous footnotes that as you're reading the book you are constantly reading in two voices it's an unusual format it's very compelling jesse green Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. 
Hey there, Lisa. Thanks for having me, and I'm so glad you're enjoying the book. I am loving the book. I, I can't... You know what I feel like, uh, Jesse? I feel like... When I'm reading the book every night, I read like 20 to 30 to 50 pages, and I say, this is my present for myself for the day. It's my present. <laughs> That's what I feel like. Well, an author or co-author uh, enjoys hearing that, so keep saying it. So uh, first, and by the way, Jesse, you want to hear something even better? I called yeah. Barnes & Nobles because I wanted to buy this book for everyone in my life who loves theater as a present. I just wanted to send it around and send it around. I couldn't get it on Amazon. And so I called Barnes & Noble, and they admitted to me that not only is it sold out, but they're waiting for the next printing. Uh, that's right. Those reviews were so beyond what any of us expected that uh, the entire first edition sold out. Uh, there will be new books in stores by the end of next week, I'm told. So tell me a little bit, Jesse Green, because it's unusual that you would have a post-mortem kind of autobiography <laughs> to begin with. How, how did this come to be? When was it written and why was it decided to be published now? Well, it was always going to be a strange project. Mary had been asked for many years to write her memoirs and kept trying it and not liking it and then deciding not to do it and going back and forth about how to do it if she did do it. And finally, she decided she didn't want to write the book, but she was willing to have it written. So she asked me. I knew her from previous journalism I had done that involved her and her family at New York Magazine and at uh, The Times. And uh, we just started talking. We agreed that on what sh what we didn't want. She was very clear. She, both her parents, her father, Richard Rogers, but also her mother, who was an accomplished woman in her own right, had written memoirs and autobiographies that were kind of fantasias. They didn't have a great deal of truth in them, mm -hmm. uh, according to Mary. And uh, they covered up a lot of the pain and difficulty of the lives that they were describing. And she just didn't want that. She didn't want a chronological book. She didn't want a dull book. She didn't want an and then I wrote kind of book. She didn't uh, she didn't want it to taste like uh, cardboard or be academic. She had a lot of things she knew she didn't want. But we had to figure out what she did want. And so we just started talking um, and talked for years <laughs> or until she died. And by the time she died, uh, we had talked about her whole life. And also we had come to some conclusions about how the book should be. But then to answer your question about why it took so long, she wasn't there anymore. And the entire writing of the book fell to me. Mm. And um, I had another job. So, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I get that. As you, as you say, you know, supposedly uh, uh, making or breaking Broadway shows and such. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so it, it took me a long time to take these uh, hundreds and hundreds of pages of notes and our conversations about how to tell this story in the most genuine and interesting way uh, so that it would read uh, as a really engaging and fun story instead of a dry kind of uh, chronicle. And, um, you know, it, that's how long it took. Finally, I got finished, and we published it as soon as we could. When did she pass, Jesse Green? When did Mary Rogers pass? In 2014. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it, it has been an unusually long time. Yeah. But um, it's an unusually uh, formatted book, as, yes. as you mentioned. Yes, yes. One of the things I decided, she wasn't sure about this at first, 
I, I, I had so much fun being with her and just listening to her. And everyone who knew her described that same feeling. Like you just wanted to sit in the living room with her and hear her talk. She had, uh, aside from her honesty, she had just an amazing acuity of observation Definitely. about everything she had seen. Definitely. And she'd, yes. and she'd seen so much. Yes. As you, as you know, Lisa, I mean, she was just like in the middle of everything of <sighs> mid-century American theatrical culture. And so I, it pretty quickly occurred to me, I want readers to have that experience. So I want an unadulterated, you know, punch of her voice. I want you to be able to sit there and read and hear her, which meant I couldn't have her say things like my father, Richard Rogers, the great American composer, because she would never talk that way. Mm -hmm. She would say daddy, mm. but you have to know who daddy is. So it became clear that I, there were going to have to be these two voices that you mentioned earlier, and uh, they were going to have to interact in various ways as the book goes on. And you'll see that something happens when you get closer to the end in terms of the relationship between the voices. It's just marvelous. We're chatting with Jesse Green, and the book is called Shy, and it's the biography, autobiography of Mary Rogers, who was a local figure here, and so much of this, we're here on WICC to a largely Connecticut audience and a New York audience, and much of the fun of it is reading about the Westport Country Playhouse and the summer that she was with Stephen Sondheim there, and the friendships, and how she lost her virginity at the Playhouse. I mean, you know, it's like you can't make it up. I mean, holy cow. And, uh, and you know, the boys that she might have married and didn't marry, and then the boy that she did marry, the first one anyway, who turned out to be gay after they had three children together. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a front seat, it's a front seat page. I want to read a little bit from the book that I marked. I marked so much of this, Jesse, but this is a little <laughs> bit. Um, she was talking about her weight, which I can relate to, okay? And, and some mm. of this has to do with a Jewish cultural phenomenon as well. And she says, yeah. my weight was a constant disappointment from birth onward. Uh, and uh, and you are so fat, he once told me, meaning her father, that your arms swing out on either side like an ape. Very nice. And she remembers this many decades later because you never forget this stuff, Jesse, do you? Right. And then she says, right. and there was my always perfectly slim mother sitting at the lunch table, breezily saying, oh, well, when I feel I am gaining weight, I just don't eat dessert for a while. I wanted to push her face into the soup. I mean, it's so great. It's so great. And then you have a footnote at her heaviest. Mary Mary wore a size 20, but for most of her life, she was a size 8. And I love that because then you're getting the vantage point of the reality check and her subjective point of view. And you get this constantly throughout the book. Well, she was an amazing recollector of her history. And at first, I wondered, could it possibly be true? All these things she was telling me, how her father was basically blackmailed by Walter Winchell when she decided yeah. to convert to Catholicism yeah. in order to marry a boy she met at Westport mm -hmm. at the theater. But she didn't end up marrying him. Oh, well. But, but she, she did, did convert. convert. Right. Right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, the, and, and the priest who was training her and then disappeared, it was all so unlikely. And that's just one out of thousands of stories. But when I checked them, uh, to, the, to the degree I could, and some of them it was possible to check, most of them, I would say, they were unbelievably accurate. Uh, her memory was astounding for those kinds of things, and it gave me a great deal of confidence. On the other hand, when she talked about herself and her 
for instance, as you mentioned, her weight or what she thought of her parents or various things like that. Um, it's not that she was necessarily inaccurate, but she she was within the point of view of that sort of injured girl mm -hmm. that she had been. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to press against that. Or when she made statements that uh, reflected, uh, you know, a kind of mindset of her time that she usually trans transcended and was very modern in her thinking, but had to be prompted sometimes. So we, there would begin to be this back and forth where I would push her on something, particularly on the quality of her work, which she tended to uh, denigrate. Yeah, but it was great work. We're chatting with Jesse Green, chief theater critic of The New York Times and author of Shy, the Ar alarmingly outspoken memoirs of Mary Rogers. I mean, this is another one. She writes, I doubt either of my parents really even wanted to have children, not the way children want to be had. Very profound. Mummy's idea of a daughter was a chambermaid crossed with a lapdog. Daddy's Clara Schumann as a chorus girl. I wrote, I mean, that's an ouch, right? That's a big ouch. That's a big wow. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of ouches. I mean, you think of a, a woman of privilege of that time, and you may not be inclined to be sympathetic to what, whatever her pains were. But it, if you get beyond that kind of thinking, it's a fascinating story about how whatever the environment you're trying to escape is, the process is difficult and can be really exciting when it's successful. And to a large degree, she was successful. She did get out from under the thumbs of her parents in many ways. She led a very modern life for those years uh, in terms of her romances, in terms of her work, and in terms of her attitudes and her political uh, leanings. And yet it has to be said, and I think it is for most of us, she was always still defined by the struggle that she grew up with and in her case, often needed her parents to rescue her from financial difficulties, mm -hmm. which she tended to get into. Mm -hmm. We're chatting about Mary Rogers with Jesse Green, who is the chief theater critic of the New York Times, and he has he collaborated with Mary Rogers during her life to now come out postmortem with an extraordinary memoir. Can you tell me a little bit, Jesse, a little bit about what you learned about Stephen Sondheim from your conversations with Mary Rogers? Well, I knew they had been friends from a very early age. I didn't exactly know the details of it, which she, in her characteristic fashion, remembered vividly meeting him at Oscar Hammerstein's farm. I mean, there you go in terms of her being at the center Boom. of the Boom. culture. Oh, my God. You know, when she was, uh, I think, 13 and he was 14. And the first thing that happened was they played two games of chess, at which he immediately destroyed her. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he went to the piano and played some Gershwin, and then she fell in love. I mean, right. she basically, right. that was it for life. It was, uh, you know, not necessarily the kind of love we think of in a love story. It was romantic in a way, but her romance was always with talent. And if you encounter... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Stephen Sondheim. At an early age, you're not going to you're not going to have much choice but to be in love with that talent. So they became friends uh, after they remet at Westport, not knowing the, each other would be there. They became very close, and the rest of their lives they were very very dear friends, albeit with uh, some strange episodes, uh, some of them negative and some of them positive. Uh, the the thing I truly didn't know, and I think no one knew is that they were so close that at one point between her marriages, they decided to attempt a trial marriage, which is described in kind of excruciating detail in the book. Uh, it didn't work out, obviously. Uh, Sondheim was gay. And uh, the romance of his talent, while compelling, was not enough to get them over that particular mm-hmm. Right. So, right. Although she uh, did say so. that she really loved a lot of gay men. Right. I mean, that. Yes, she does say yeah. everyone should marry a gay man mm-hmm. at least once. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, but but she had to go through that particular fire to finally, you know, move on to the. A mature marriage that she had with her second husband. We're chatting with Jesse Green. Jesse, do you have a few more moments? Because I want to keep talking, but you know the exigencies of life radio require me to go to a commercial or two. Will you stick around? I want to keep talking uh, about Shy. I'm here for you, Lisa. That's great. Jesse Green will be right back. The book is Shy: The Alarmingly Outspoken Memoirs of Mary Rogers of right here of Fairfield County, Connecticut. We'll be right back. Tell Lisa whatever's on your mind. 203-333-9422. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC's 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And we're back. We're back with Jesse Green, the lead theater critic of the New York Times. The book is Shy, and it is already out of print, but you can get yourself on a waiting list, and I advise that you do so at Amazon and Barnes & Noble at the independent bookseller of your choice because it is such a great book. And it is a memoir in Mary Rogers' voice, but with extensive footnotes written by Jesse Green that really help inform and enhance the reading experience. You know, one of the things that Mary Rogers writes, Jesse, is it is rude for the rich to cry poor, but touch any family at whatever level, and you're likely to find people operating at the edge of their wealth and often well past it. She writes, that Hmm. was us. And she talks about the member of the wedding, which I didn't even, I had never even heard of the musical version of the member of the wedding. And I thought I was pretty good in terms of my musical (laughs) depth. But I guess that was a flop that I missed somehow, or I never heard the score. Uh, And, um, but yet she was very successful. I mean, Once Upon a Mattress continued to have revenues and still does in royalties. And Freaky Friday's a perennial favorite. She was a very talented, very talented uh, person, very talented theater artist herself. Very. Yes, uh, she was. But an an interesting aspect uh, of the story, I think, is that she was very talented, and yet she was the child of someone considered the great genius of American melody. So your talent, you know, tends to look a little bit smaller when that's the environment you grow up in. Hearing him 
downstairs uh, in your in the duplex, you know, coming up with songs like um, "If I Loved You." I know. So that, that does put it in context. But she also says that as a woman uh, and a mother, she had certain advantages because, unlike most of the men she knew of that era, she didn't need to be the winner of the competition. She didn't need to be the best. She was pretty happy to be very good. And when circumstances uh, collided such that she really wasn't able to get her work heard on Broadway anymore, she had another arrow in her quiver. And so she started writing these books for children, including the Freaky Friday series, which were also a very big success. And when that, you know, lost its interest for her, uh, she had yet another arrow in her quiver that she pulled out she became a a, you know a leading uh uh, philanthropist in the arts and Mm -hmm. indeed she was the chairman of the juilliard Juilliard. unbelievable for for many years so she points out that there's some advantages to accepting the level of talent that you have not diminishing it but not feeling so wedded to its particular expression that you can never move on Whereas men, she felt, and certainly the men she knew, were destroyed by their failures. She wasn't. Yeah. I understand what she's talking about because if the the weightiness of the expectations isn't that heavy, you can rise up easier. You can. And also, of course, her father was deeply depressed. Let's talk a little bit about Richard Rogers. I had no idea he was such a skirt chaser. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know that he had a room upstairs above the theaters where he would take chorus girls. And by the way, do you think maybe now it would be considered a little bit of sexual harassment, Jesse? What do you think? A little Absolutely. Bit? Mm-hmm. There's no question. There's a kind of harrowing story. I don't want to give away too much. and Maybe you haven't gotten there yet. But late in his life, She uh, goes to visit him on the road when he's trying to get his last show uh, into previews out of town and discovers something about that. I'm not going to say more than that, Mm -hmm. except it would definitely it would definitely be considered harassment now. Uh, But but then, too, he was a major alcoholic, uh, probably a big contributor to his depression and, uh, you know, was a very unhappy man uh, while at the same time being the creator of some of the most beautiful music ever heard on the stage. Ever. Period. End. It's very interesting how Mary Rogers is a link. It's She's a link between Richard Rogers and Stephen Sondheim that I didn't know about. And one could draw a line in the American musical theater and say that a certain kind of genius, you know, was epitomized by Richard Rogers, the likes of which will never be seen again, as far as I'm concerned, in, in his own way. And then you have mm-hmm. and then you have the genius of Stephen Sondheim, which which is a different kind of genius, but but a genius nonetheless. And that she was in and, between them is remarkable. It's just remarkable. Well, and more literally, she had six children, five of whom survived into adulthood. And one of them is the composer and lyricist Adam Gettle, who wrote Floyd Collins and The Light in the Piazza, and who many considered to be a continuation of that line. So she often jokingly referred to her as the baloney in the sandwich of talent. Yeah. And what about Hal Prince? That was another shocker to me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Come on, Jess. You got to tell us a little bit. What was Mary Rogers doing with Hal Prince? What kind of a love affair did they have? That was unbelievable. And they met his kids. Unbelievable. Uh, they met when she was trying to find a, a boy that she could date that her parents might accept. <sighs> 
uh, they weren't interested in her dating someone non-Jewish. But further than that, they had very strict requirements about, you know, where the family was from and, and how wealthy they were and what school the boy went to. Uh, basically, she she lied uh, to uh, in order to go to a party where you know she was promised the possibility of of uh, a boy, and at that party she met him. They were quite young. I think she was maybe sixteen, something like that, and um, struck up a friendship, which became a romance while he was finishing his work at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, he was There's a kind of harrowing story of her vomiting all over right. Philadelphia. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And and then uh, had an on-again, off-again romance uh, that happily turned into a friendship eventually when, when he found the right woman for him. And she realized that she was really never going to be happy with someone who was so ambitious for himself. Um, a quality she did not find very attractive, ultimately. Yeah, she would. What did she refer to him as? Sort of like the Rolodex King, something like that. <laughs> she said he was born with a list of people he wanted to meet. That's it. That's it. That's right. I translated that in my head as Rolodex. We are we're chatting with Jesse Green, and we're talking about Shy, which is a great name for this memoir because Shy was the signature song of Carol Burnett in the remake uh, Once Upon a Mattress, which is really the fairy tale of the princess and the pea, sort of, on its sideways. And, you know, when, <laughs> when you get to know Mary Rogers, you can see in so many ways how art reflects life, but even she realized later on that she was writing the story of herself. It was wonderful. Yeah, she... She, in essence, believed, she thought she believed that what you write is not reflective of yourself, that it's just what comes before you, because she was always doing whatever, whatever anyone handed her to do, she would do it. She would write for Captain Kangaroo. She would write for Prince Spaghetti Song. She would write for Rin Tin Tin, as she said, the show, not the dog. She would write for Puppets. (laughs) She'd write, she would do, you know, whatever came her way, as one does in, in one's youth, trying to get ahead a story that's pretty well told in Merrily We Roll Along, the Sondheim musical. But when it was pointed out to her that some of these stories she chose to tell were just too close emotionally to her own, including the story of this this uh, princess who has escaped from her her home in search of love on her own terms, you know, she had to admit that in retrospect, anyway, these were her stories, mm-hmm. and she was sort of glad she didn't know it at the time. Yeah, that's true. And also, Carol Burnett, when I think about her looks and her voice, she resembles Mary Rogers a little bit. There's a photograph of them in the book uh, doing publicity for Once Upon a Mattress when it moved to Broadway from off-Broadway, and uh, they look astonishingly alike. Right? It's great casting, and great. I mean, it turned out to be the breakthrough role for Carol Burnett. Did they stay friends? Did they stay friends? Yes, they, yes, yeah. they did. Yeah. And she, Carol Burnett is one of the people in the book who uh, <laughs> comes through unscathed. The uh, many of the I mean, I don't mean to make it sound like the book is nasty. It isn't. But she was very honest, even about people she loved and, of course, about herself. So uh, there aren't that many people who, amongst all the praise, don't also get a little bit of a shiv. But Carol Burnett is is left left pure. Well. Then there's Arthur Lawrence, which is hilariously the exception to every nice thing she says about gay men. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. At one point, she says talent excuses everything except Arthur Lawrence. What was the deal? And by the way, for those listening here on WICC, tell us a little bit about Arthur Lawrence and his great talent, because he definitely got the byline of a lot of great shows. Well, most famously, he wrote the books for West Side Story and for Gypsy. Mm-hmm. Also, several other shows, several movies uh, and uh, plays. But those are probably the two works for which he's best known. She, she, Mary, and Arthur and Steve were all good friends for a time. But Arthur was also known as a very difficult person who, under the guise of Honesty would say things that were extremely hurtful to people and often behind their backs undermine them. Uh, So it was hard to remain his friend. And indeed, many of his collaborators just gave up after a while. Mary stuck it out for as long as she could until she realized that she was essentially collaborating with him in his nastiness because he could she couldn't stand up to him. She was so afraid of becoming his victim. Interesting. Finally, things happened, though, that even she couldn't stand up to any stand up for anymore. And she she cut it off. Yeah. You know, when people are bullies, they are very intimidating. You get very afraid of the ramifications of pissing them off too much. You do. It's true. It's totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, but but the book needed uh, a bet noir, and, and he was he was the he bet. was a good one. He was the bet. Well, Jesse Green, I want to thank you for writing the book. I, I want to thank you for publishing it. I want to thank you for telling all these stories. I, I have loved Broadway ever since I saw Fiddler on the Roof in the 1960s at, with my Aunt Cookie. But we did not see Zero Marcel in the original. I think Paul Lipton was the person. But I fell in love with Broadway and never stopped ever since. And I take in anything <laughs> and everything I can. And I read every single one of your reviews, by the way, Jesse Green. And well, I have for many, for many years. And I would love to have you back on the show in general to schmooze about whatever you want to schmooze about about but the book is shy thank you for writing it and it's marvelous thank you thank you thank you lisa thank you jesse green on the lisa wexer show we'll be right back even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.